Father, this morning, indeed, we exalt your name. We love to see you high and lifted up. Father, we praise you, we worship you, we love you, Lord. And we have come together this morning as your body, even though we are in our own separate homes, because we long to see you high and lifted up. We long to exalt your name, to see you glorified. Father, as we continue to worship you, as we spend some time listening to, to a testimony of your goodness and your grace, as we spend some time meditate, meditating on the truth of your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dave and Caro and Jess and Jono. <laughs> Greetings to everyone. We trust that everyone is well under the current circumstances. Mm -hmm as we progress through our lockdown during this, during this pandemic. Today we're going to do things a little bit differently. We're going to look at, at, at something different, a break from our series. And in some ways, what we're going to consider this morning has little to do with the series we are following. And in other ways, it has everything to do with the series that we are following on walking as Jesus walked. This morning I have my beautiful wife Cindy with me and in a moment she's going to share a testimony with us about something that she and, and us, our family, have been through recently. Some of you may be familiar with it already. What Cindy has been through over the last few days, the last few weeks, has really gotten us to ask certain questions again that has guided us to search out again the Father's heart. And what our relationship to him means. And I believe this morning that what the Lord has laid on our hearts today will be a blessing and an encouragement to us. And that the Father would be glorified. Indeed. Yes, it really is a privilege um, for me to be able to share of God's greatness. God is still God. He has been with me through these past few weeks um, just to give you some detail and background uh, I was experiencing some pain and went to the doctor it was in my lower right side I thought that I'd injured myself at work um, the doctor referred me to the hospital they were suspecting perhaps it was a hernia they did an x-ray it was not a hernia they uh, then admitted me to hospital. Um, when I was admitted, they did an ultrasound, and the ultrasound revealed that there was a growth on my abdominal muscle tissue. Um, I was not prepared for hospital admission. I thought it was just going to be a pop in and out. Um, and then uh, after being admitted, I was told no visitors because of the pandemic. So Bevan, the children, nobody was allowed to come and see me. Um, I'd left my car parked in the street. <laughs> um, yeah, and then after the results of the ultrasound came back, um, the doctors said, well, it doesn't look something sinister and they wanted to do some further tests. Um, they did an MRI and the MRI revealed that there wasn't one but two 
growths in masses. So one was on my abdominal um, muscle tissue and the other one was on my right ovary. So the doctor referred me to a gynae and I saw these two medical practitioners. The gynae, um, after doing the ultrasound, um, said it looked like an ovarian cyst. And it also looked like another cyst had already popped because the fallopian tube was, was inflamed. And so um, he planned to, to treat it by way of chemosurgery, do a laparoscopy, and then remove the, the, the ovarian cyst and the, um, and the tube. Um, the other mass, they wanted to do another biopsy um, to check uh, what was going on because it looked a bit sinister and that biopsy revealed that there were squamous cells in the tissue. Um, and the doctors were quite uh, surprised by that because this kind of carcinoma doesn't originate in the stomach muscle. Um, and they then did a further test to see where this possible cancer was or had spread from and I had to do a, another CT scan from my neck down to my brain. Um, all this while at hospital alone um, was not an easy uh, time but I was very much encouraged by um, the prayers and also reminded of God's fantastic track record. He has helped me in the past and he has been with me when I was alone in times past and I knew he was with me. I knew he was with me. Um, the doctors then explained that they needed to do further tests on this mass on my abdominal wall. Um, they wanted to do an incision biopsy where they would cut down and um, cut out a slice of cake. That's how she put it. Um, and so I would have these two procedures, one after the other, the laparoscopy and then this incision biopsy to see what was going on with the mass on my stomach wall. Then an hour before I was supposed to go in to have these two uh, procedures done, the doctor came back and said, listen, the CT scan has shown no squamous cells, nowhere else in your body. And so it doesn't look like it's cancer. After all, I was extremely relieved. And um, then she said, yeah, how could that be? I mean, we, we had gone through all these tests and she said, well, you know, the lab must have contaminated your your specimen. Your specimen must have been contaminated. It must have been somebody else's squamous cells. Um, I was just relieved to hear that I didn't have cancer at that point. Yes, well. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then we went through with the, with the operation, uh, the laparoscopy the to remove the cyst and that went, it went well in the end. Um, but yeah, people were praying, there were so many people praying, there was an army of people praying in Mpumalanga people playing in Sao Paulo, PBC family playing, my family, so many people, friends, friends that I've been out of touch with for a while that made contact with me again. 
And the Lord just encouraged me with so much. Um, and just reminded me again of who he is. He is a good father. He is a really good father. And his track record is impeccable. He is trustworthy and we can trust him. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody that prayed. And I trust that you'll be encouraged by our awesome father. He loves us and he hears us when we pray. I believe it was William Temple, the, the Archbishop of Canterbury, who said to his critics when they regarded answered prayer as no more than coincidence, he said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't happen. So he confessed that the more he prayed, the more coincidences happened. Now, when, when we evaluate what happened to Cindy, we can very rightfully say that the pathologists made a monumental error. How unprofessional it is to make that kind of mistake. How do they contaminate a, a sample of someone's tissue in a biopsy? Because this is what they do. We could say that. Or... We can say and declare that something happened between the time that an initial hypothesis was made based on evidence and the time that a conclusion was reached after tests and scans were rendered to reach confirmation. So it was either a case that a mistake was made or a coincidence happened. A coincidence happened that we call God hearing us and answering our prayers in His way. Now I'd like to read with you a well-known scripture that we, that we were comforted with during this time. And, and then I'd like to share a few thoughts about it. And the scripture this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7. And we'll look at Matthew chapter 7 from verses 7 to 12 and it reads as follows it says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives he who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened which of you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, these words were spoken by Jesus in what has been called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is recorded in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and Luke also mentions it in chapter 6. So, as you read this, picture Jesus on a mountainside with a crowd of people in front of him. Now, since chapter 6 here, as it's recorded, Jesus has been exploring what this close relational connection with the Father that he's opened up for his followers ought to look like. 
Now, this connection to the Father through Jesus should allow us freedom from anxiety. It should allow us freedom from feeling that you need to control other people. This connection should bring us peace. And so Jesus goes about describing this close, intimate connection to the Father that should fuel this very different kind of life that we have embraced. What Jesus describes is worship that doesn't simply comprise of doing prayer and doing generosity and doing all the religious things that we think will please God, but rather a new way that is built on a close relationship, a connection to the Father. Now, as we look at the first line that we read here uh, out of chapter 7, Jesus really is making a thesis statement. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What Jesus is describing here really is a very prayerful way of engaging life. Prayer is, as we know, a very basic, simple habit in the life of a disciple. And the words Jesus uses here are not theologically hard or complicated to understand. Jesus simply says, ask, seek, knock. So he makes his thesis statement and then he describes the details of what he says and he does so in the context of a relationship between a parent and a child. And everyone in this crowd of people that Jesus is speaking to, I think, understands what he's saying. And I think all of us today, this morning, can too. Cindy and I, as you know, we have two children, Noah and Eden. Now, in the mornings now, since we've been on lockdown, Eden will come into the bedroom. She will come around to the bed and she'll ask for porridge. Now, I don't think that she considers before she comes into the room. I wonder what mommy and daddy are going to say when I ask them for porridge. I don't think she goes into this lengthy debate in her mind and considers all of the variables of what our exchange could be like if she were to ask. She just comes into the room and asks. She's not concerned about whether or not we are still sleeping. She's not concerned if we, if we need to go to the bathroom first. She's not concerned if we would rather like to wake up first. She just asks. And I think this is how Jesus is simply putting it here. He says, just ask. And then he ramps it up a bit and he says, just seek and then knock. It doesn't appear complicated at all. But I think that there is something that makes this complex. It makes it complicated. And I think what makes this complex is our response to what he is saying here. I think that it is a response that most, if not all, believers have of this picture that Jesus is painting here. I think our response is that that is way too easy. It is too optimistic a thought 
to believe that if I just ask God for something, that he would hear me, let alone answer me. There has to be more variables involved to see an outcome here. And so some of us may say, you know, I used to think that way. But then reality happened. Life happened. Or I asked and I asked and then I didn't hear anything. And then I, after a while, I just thought twice about this whole prayer and relationship thing. Or maybe you've taken the view of prayers that may have been answered as simply having been coincidence. Now I would like for us for the next few minutes to consider some of those things that come in the way of taking what Jesus says here in this text at face value. What are those things that come and have muddied the water for us in believing Jesus when he says that all that we have to do is to simply ask, to seek, and to knock. Jesus, as we look at this here, actually already anticipates that it would be challenging for us and he knows what these obstacles are and he then engages those doubts here in the scriptures and some of some of that is found right here that we've just read. And the first obstacle is this. That Jesus identifies that it may be difficult for some of us to trust Jesus' description of the character of the Father. Jesus gives this image of God being this loving, attentive, present Father who wants to be asked. And he's eager to give good things when he is asked. And he uses this example of a child asking for something that is a very basic need. Bread. Now remember he's talking here to a hillside of people who are mostly in all probability poor working class people. And he says, would anybody give their child a stone when they ask for bread? Now, nobody would answer yes to that. And then he says, if a child asks for a fish, who would give them a snake? Nobody would do that. Jesus here relies on the intuition of all parents and people here. That if a child asks for something that they wouldn't be given something that would be of no use to them. Or something that would hurt them. And Jesus then goes on to say that if you, who are evil, know that and wouldn't do that, how much more so the Father who is in heaven would give good things to those who ask him. And so Jesus here, he realigns our understanding of the character of the Father by describing the Father as being a loving, a caring, an attentive generous, supportive father in a very simple and a very practical way. Before we move on to the next obstacle, I think that we just need to address a wrong understanding very quickly. Now, there are some folk who have what we could call a, a name it and claim it, or, or a blab it and grab it, or a, a blank check kind of theology. And they've arrived at this belief 
by taking certain scriptures out of context. For example, John chapter 14, 14, which says, Whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it. As well as some other scriptures that we know of. Now, if we plug that theology, that name it and claim it kind of theology, getting whatever you want kind of thinking, into the way that Jesus is describing the character of the Father here, then we can ask ourselves the question, what kind of good parent is going to give their child whatever they ask for, whenever they ask for it? That's not a parent, that's more like a genie. I think, and you think, and I think you would agree with me, a wise parent, a wise father, reserves the right to say no and to respond to the request of their child in a way that they believe will best suit the well-being of their child. And that won't always be in the way that the child may want. Our second obstacle is this. Jesus actually identifies that we actually start seeing and actually start seeing him unpack it here in chapter 6 and verse 8, where he talks about how prayer works and he gives more detail about prayer. The obstacle is this. If God already knows what I need, why do I need to ask? It doesn't matter how mature a believer you become. I think this is a very challenging one. Our thinking is that if he already knows, then he's going to provide already. So why bother asking? If God is going to do what God is going to do, then what's the point of asking? That would be our reasoning. But Jesus, in the text here, takes the exact opposite view. And he says that the Father knows what you need before you ask him. So ask him. Jesus places that obstacle again in the context of a relationship. The Father is waiting for you to come and ask, and He is expecting it. I'm sure that you can think back to a time when your own parent may have said to you, Why didn't you come ask me? There is an often unspoken expectation in the context of relationship. That you would feel the freedom to come and make requests because you know that you are loved and you are cared for. Thirdly, the last one that we'll consider this morning is that we've had the experience of praying perhaps and asking for what seemed like really, really good things that we believe God would want to have happen, but then they don't happen. We can perhaps call this one perceived unanswered prayer. Now this one is probably the hardest one. And it's an obstacle that can be very off-putting even to those who don't yet believe in God. Now if we put what we have looked at in the past few minutes into context with what we have been looking at over the last few weeks in our series walking as Jesus walked. Then we see how God the King has sovereignly chosen to work out His purposes in our world through us. 
So we see that it is through a real relationship that we have with the Father that He is able to work in us and through us. If we have a real relationship with our children as parents, then we have certain things that we want to shape in them. And we would want them to become people of integrity and people who love, people who are kind and generous and so on. But at the same time, as we shape them, we have to give them real dignity as individual human beings who bear God's image. And in the moment that we start to force our agenda on them, it ceases to be a relationship. And then they may become programmed robots. And we may become self-serving demigods. Or they may become spoiled rotten. And we may become simply suppliers or meal tickets to them. So as parents, we have to learn this balance of learning when to say yes and when to say no. And when to get involved and when to be quiet. The example being used here is, is only an analogy. But it does seem like this is the picture that Jesus is wanting to communicate to us here about the Father. So this morning we would want you to reflect on God as being our Father. And being someone who in a very personal way wants what is best for us. Someone who invites us openly to ask, to seek, to knock. Someone who we could call Abba. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father. We thank you that you are a good, good Father and that you desire what is best for us. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of what you have done in Cindy's life. I thank you that your hand of protection and guidance and compassion was with her throughout the ordeal that she suffered. And thank you at the end of it all that we can declare that there is no one like you. That healing, all healing, comes from you. And that you are at work in our lives from day to day. That you that you that you guide us, that you lead us, and that you desire your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven.